Here comes Peter Cottontail, hopping down the bunny trail. Hippity hopping, Easter's on its way. Hi, this is Beth Moon. And this is Cole Moon, and welcome to the Holiday Moons Podcast. Where we share our love for the holidays with you, year-round. And this is Randy. I will be talking about a very interesting topic, Easter grass. Hmm. And this is Sydney, and I will be talking about the inverted umbrella and starting my spring-summer series on useful inventions. There we go. That was the context I was looking for. I was like... We're the Holiday Moons Podcast. What's going on, Umbrella? <laughs> well, I'll call inverted umbrella. Inverted umbrella. That's right. That's like not holiday, but inverted, so it is holiday. And it sure is useful. That is true. And it sure is seasonal. That's true. And this week is three weeks prior to Easter when we record this. This episode will come out the week before Easter. And it's also part of a week after, I guess it's a full week, after St. Patrick's Day. Mm-hmm. So I know for me, I ended up in Charleston, South Carolina for St. Patrick's Day. And on that night, several of us went out and experienced the town. Charleston's a, a nice little town. I mean, it's a city, but it's not like a huge city. It's a very walkable city that you're able to get to a lot of fun places very easily from the downtown area. But it tends to be a sleepy city in that most things close at six other than like restaurants. So interesting. Yes. Yeah. So we went out not really knowing what to expect on the on St. Patrick's Day evening. They had a parade during the day. We didn't get to see that. But that evening, there was a lot of people out. But it was funny. By about 9, most people were gone. So the restaurants were open. The bars were open. They were definitely doing specials for St. Patrick's Day, green beer. I had some beer, but it wasn't green beer. It was a special flavor for St. Patrick's Day, but uh, not specifically uh, for that. So it was, it was fun to kind of get to see the city and experience the... The energy of the city on St. Patrick's Day evening. But then pretty much by 9, it seemed like it was pretty much time to go home. (laughs) Most places were closed again. You know, we're rapidly approaching the spring season here. Uh, We're getting the highs and lows of good temperatures, cold temperatures. Today's a cold temperature day. I actually uh, saw flurries on the way to the door area today. So that was actually cold enough to flurry. But we also have a lot of blooms out there. That's right. Blooms <laughs> like the bread for pear trees, the ornamental cherry trees, the crab apple trees, which go anywhere from light pink to dark pink to white. But they're all beautiful. And they're very full. Yes. For some reason around here, there are a lot of Bradford pears. And interestingly, we had a Bradford pear when we lived at our last house. And it was in our backyard. And we were around it all the time. Yep. All the time. It was just, it was one of the couple trees. We were in a subdivision. It was like one of two trees in the backyard. So we had heard or read that... I think somebody told us like over Facebook or something. We saw it over Facebook. Okay. That the Bradford pear blossoms smell like fish. And I was like, no, they don't. We had one right there and there was, it was breezy and we would have smelled a fish smell. That's, that's silly. So... I passed trees, and finally I just stopped and went over and smelled the blossoms, and they smelled like fish. But breeze, it doesn't, it sticks to the blossom. The breeze doesn't carry the smell. So then I stopped and had, I think Randy and Sydney were in the car with me at the time. So I pulled over and had them smell the Bradford pear blossoms. And what did you two experience? It was shocking. 
It was shocking. It was. We didn't believe her until we put our noses right up to the blossom and it smelled like fish. And you do. You have to put your yeah. nose right against the blossom to smell it. But sure enough, it smells like fish. And it's it doesn't crazy. matter how many you have around you because we've been places where there's a bunch of Bradford pears and you don't smell it. Tons of them around here. Yes. People line Amazing. their driveways. If they have long driveways, they line their driveways with them. And if you think about this, who would line their driveways with stuff that had like a fish stench throughout the spring, right? Nobody. Fishermen. <laughs> I think they probably would rather not have fish trees. Cats who own homes. That's true. <laughs> so it was, it was shocking. So I encourage you, if you have Bradford pear trees around you, to go experiment. Go smell them. Tell us what you think. Yeah, have your kids do it. That's fun. Yeah, that's the best. <laughs> Make sure they put their nose right up into it. Deep breath. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I'd taken a little sniff. <laughs> so how's the end of March for you guys in Tampa area, Cole? Well, it's getting warmer, obviously. Uh, it is Florida. It's, it's also getting, we're closing out the end of the dry season here in Tampa. So we're getting more rain more consistently, which you know, is unfortunate during the day when you want it to be sunny, but it's nice in the evening when you get that rain sound. We had a little rain and thunder a few nights back, so that was nice. I enjoyed that. The only other really major thing that's going on is that the the snowbirds are starting to trickle back north. And for those of you who might not be familiar with the term, the snowbirds are usually a lot of older folks who live up north but migrate down to Florida for the winter, where it's warmer. Yep, so they usually have smaller houses down here and they stay for maybe like November to, to March. A lot of the, the local people here in Tampa say they're usually all gone by Easter. So we're looking forward to that all being over with and being able to go to the beach and stuff. It's starting to get warm enough for that. So that'll be nice too. Interestingly, there's a new supervisor at my work and he, can't, he comes from the Tampa Bay area. So I was talking to him briefly about alligators. And he said that he has his wife almost convinced to canoe on the Shenandoah. Because she's so skeptical because any body of water in Florida can have alligators. You don't do it. You don't get on there and just canoe around the alligators. So it's funny that it's taken her a little while, but she's almost convinced to, <laughs> to canoe in the Shenandoah. That's funny. It was. I thought it was really cute. I thought it was funny. Any other holiday happenings from anybody? Sydney, did you have one? Yeah, just that um, the trees are definitely blooming here as well. It's so pretty. And the other day, Noelle and I took a walk and I was trying to take a picture of her with a, I put a flower in her hair and she was just being ornery and as I was taking the picture, she had like, she kept like eating the flower petals and the petals would be stuck on her lips. And, ah, she was having fun in her own little Noel way. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's funny. Something that I hadn't experienced before and I hadn't heard anything about is a lot of trees in my area are all shedding their leaves. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Not the palm trees, but all the trees that aren't palm trees are all shedding their leaves. And I've seen people out with rakes, like raking them up into piles and then putting them into like compost. And so I, I will have to look up 
why that is, if just seasonally those particular trees need to shed their leaves at some point, and there isn't autumn to prompt them into losing their leaves during that season. Yeah. Uh, because it was funny to, to Keely and I were walking around because in our little neighborhood area, the ground in front of people's houses were just covered in like little leaves because they we don't have like oak trees and trees with a lot of big leaves aside from palm trees and palmetto trees over here yeah i thought that was pretty interesting and if there's any listeners who are from florida or maybe this is a uh, something that happens in the south in general uh let us know why i'm experiencing fall in march here <laughs> <laughs> that's it that is very interesting we have those big pin oak trees in the backyard that are like 80 feet tall or maybe 70 feet tall but they hold on to their leaves they're one of the few of the trees around us that hold on to them and for them the new growth is what detaches the leaves from the trees so maybe it's something similar to that for some of those trees anyway yeah. so yeah it'd be interesting to find out so this will come out right before easter so we're hope hope you have a having a good easter preparation season we think of easter baskets easter candy in addition to other the more religious aspects of Easter as we get close to it. So when you guys think of Easter baskets for us traditionally, what do you guys think of? Are you talking about like the contents or just like the general vibe? Uh, either one. I've got like a picture in my head of usually like a chocolate bunny, some eggs and some assorted goodies in like a nest of green is what's popping into my head. Green Easter grass. Now, I know that we have Easter grass of other colors in the past, but that's the one my, my brain is associating with it the most. Yeah, you're right. I grew up with baskets that had some candy in it and then had the plastic Easter grass in it. And when I was growing up, all the, the only color available was green. Now, of course, there's like a plethora of plastic Easter grass colors. Growing up, it was green. And, you know, you could kind of see pieces of it. Some of the Easter baskets we had had gaps on the side so you can kind of see the Easter, <laughs> Easter grass coming out the Poking side. out, yeah. yeah. I know when we put your guys' Easter baskets together when you guys were little, you couldn't even see the Easter grass I until know. you took everything out because yeah. they were so full of stuff. Of stuff. We had to poke some out just to see it. Yeah. Oh no, that sucked. That was so bad. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I was telling Sydney the other day, I decided to look up kind of the history of plastic Easter grass and kind of where it came up. And I could find barely anything about Easter grass as a whole when I was looking up many, many different places. But fortunately, I was able to find one article that I was able to pull out with some letters from the 1800s that talked a little bit about Easter grass and their history. Well, that's interesting. One of the other things I thought about with Easter grass, though, and we'll talk about this more later, is that our cats, oh yeah, particularly one of them, like to eat the Easter grass. And same thing with icicles on Christmas trees, right? They're small, thin. The one cat we have just loves to eat like stringy things. She loves ribbon. So Anything we, she thinks is ribbon. Tinsel. Yeah. 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 Yep. So we have to keep it away from her because it's not good for her to have that in her system, it's obviously. Not good, yeah, it's not good for any cats to ingest it. That's right. We're going to have to be concerned about that with Izzy because she goes after grass, grass. Grass is her favorite thing in the world. Yes, yeah. but that that plastic Easter grass has a lot of static with it too. So it, <laughs> it is hard to get rid of and it's hard to make sure you got it all, right? Because it sticks to you, it sticks to the baskets, it sticks to the floor. Like it's just got a lot of surface tension caused by 
static electricity. Yes. So we'll talk a little bit about alternatives later. <laughs> but when I was looking at for some history on where did Easter grass come from, there was an article written in a newspaper called The Pennsylvania Dutch in 1882 by Phoebe Earl Gibbons that I thought was interesting. And it's a little bit long. And Phoebe was a woman. So maybe, Beth, you can read it in your voice. <laughs> in my, as <laughs> opposed to somebody else's voice? Yes. Okay. Yeah, don't do an accent. This is Phoebe. <laughs> no. <laughs> no? Okay. I, this is from Phoebe. I live in the country, but on last Good Friday was at Reading. Now, this is Reading, Pennsylvania that Redding, she's talking about. And was surprised to see so many persons going to church. Easter is greatly observed by Reformed and Lutherans. It is the time of confirmation and administering the sacrament. And you may hear of churches in country localities having as high as 600 communicants. At Easter, of course, eggs greatly abound. At a boarding house at Allentown, Pennsylvania, I heard of colored eggs being offered to callers or taken to friends. Fragments of egg and colored shells may be seen on the pavements for about a week. So just to interject here, it says, she says at Easter, of course, eggs greatly abound. So that was because of Lent and you weren't supposed to have eggs during Lent. So the eggs that the chickens laid, they would sometimes hard boil and then they would also decorate for friends and distribute. So it's funny to me that like they just threw these shells on the ground. Like the people that had the yeah. eggs just <laughs> threw the shells on the ground. This was before they were really concerned about littering at all. Yes, yes. And of course they're biodegradable so that that's true yeah 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 i was gonna say eggshells can be put into like compost and things like that okay so go ahead more with her letter okay a little childish myth is found in these more eastern counties of which i heard very little in lancaster county it is that the rabbit lays the colored eggs a young man in Reading, pennsylvania says that when they were children they always made a nest the evening before easter sunday of an old hat or something similar, which they set near the door for the rabbit to lay the colored eggs in. An old man in a tavern, however, says that it is foolishness, like Belschnickel. Yeah, so Cole, do you remember what Belschnickel is? I don't remember what Bel... What is Belschnickel? <laughs> so Belschnickel... So th- this tradition is coming over to the United States from, from the German immigrants that came from generally a, a particular area of Germany... That is called Palatinate. So they came across, a lot of people from that area came across in the 18th century. One of their traditions about Belschnickel was that he was a little old guy at Christmas time that delivered gifts. Oh, okay. Yes. It is foolishness, like Belschnickel. Okay, that makes sense. All right, keep going with the article. Okay. At my own tavern, the landlady was coloring eggs and had brought some Canton flannel rabbits with which to dress the guest tables at breakfast on Sunday morning. So one of the things I like about this article is that she's interviewing a bunch of people and just talking about their yeah. traditions. So uh, just in that Pennsylvania area. And this was what, the 1800s? Yep. This is fascinating. Mm-hmm. In Lehigh County, a lawyer says that when they were children, they would take flax and each make his nest under a bush in the garden. Okay, so let's stop and say what flax is. So flax is a plant that produces flax seed that you may be familiar with, but it's also can be dried out and can be used like for uh, filler and things like that. So. Is it like corn silk? It's not quite, that, not quite that thin. Oh, okay. They're not quite that thin. Okay, that's what I always think of. On Easter Sunday morning, they would run out and find three eggs of different colors in each nest. Literalness has gone so far in Allentown 
that I hear of cakes in a baker's window in the form of a rabbit laying eggs. So that, that tradition of eggs is just spreading into other like yeah. uh, tradecraft, like in this case, yeah. baking, right? Yeah. At Easton, which is, which is also in Pennsylvania. At Easton, a lady spoke of making nests for her two boys by taking plates, ornamenting them with cut paper in the form of a nest, putting into each a large candy egg or colored eggs, and placing a rabbit in one and a chicken in the other and hiding them for the boys to find. So the interesting thing about that is this is 1882. So she was probably making those candy eggs yeah. herself. So this is the first time we hear candy eggs. Up till now That's it's right. been boiled eggs, mm -hmm. colored eggs. This myth of the rabbit's eggs is very common among the Moravians. One of my Dutch acquaintances, born west of us in Cumberland County, Pennsylvania, and afterward living in Maryland, says that her mother told her children to set their bonnets at Easter for nests for the rabbit's eggs. Right, so their Easter bonnets, their special hats, they would actually set out upside down for the rabbits to bring the eggs to, to lay the eggs in. So interesting. Cumberland County is Pennsylvania, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. I think there's also a Maryland, <clears throat> but I think she meant Pennsylvania there. Okay. This is an old German myth. A gentleman from Switzerland says that he heard the fable there, and he thinks that it prevails all over Germany. Many or most of our early German emigrants into Pennsylvania seem to have come from or th through the Palatinate. My friend before mentioned who was born there, thus describes the custom at her former home. If the children have no garden, they make nests in the woodshed, barn, or house. They gather colored flowers for the rabbit to eat, that it may lay colored eggs. So I love that part, right? That's interesting. So, you know, when you have kids, sometimes you joke with your kids about brown cows, milk, they chocolate milk, <laughs> and white cows. So um, in this case, they were feeding the rabbits in their nest areas some colored colorful flowers in order to get the colored eggs. If there be a garden, the eggs are hidden singly in the green grass, boxwood, or elsewhere. On Easter Sunday morning, they whistle for the rabbit, and the children imagine that they see him jump the fence. After church, on Easter Sunday morning, they hunt the eggs, and in the afternoon, the boys go out in the meadow and crack eggs or play with them like marbles. <laughs> or sometimes children are invited to a neighbor's to hunt eggs. So before they would go to church that morning, they would whistle basically as a signal, hey, we're leaving, rabbit. Yeah. You can come now. And then they would leave. And then after church, they would have the eggs there. And then they did a number of things they, with the eggs. They had a lot of fun with the eggs, yes. Yeah. Children from the earliest settlement in Germantown in the 1680s were always told to prepare a nest for the Osterhaus, or the Easter rabbit. The nests were sometimes built in the house in a secluded spot. Other times, they were built in the barn or out in the countryside. So this, this points to an even earlier settlement of German immigrants that was a smaller area that had this whole idea of nests out. And then when later in the 1800s, when the all these other German settlers came in, they kind of spread it across larger parts of Pennsylvania. Sometimes the boys would use their woolen caps or hats, and girls would use their bonnets as a nest for the Easter rabbit to lay the eggs. They were taught that the Easter rabbit always lays the eggs, and during the course 
of Easter Eve, if they were good boys and girls, beautiful colored eggs would appear in the nest that was prepared. So you see there's not consistency, right? So the right. other one was happens during the church service, and this one is overnight. Right. Easter Eve. And these don't require colored flowers. That's right. If the children were bad prior to Easter Eve... And I Eve, wondered about this part. One author said the parents of the misbehaved children would tell them that the nest would be filled with rabbit pellets. <laughs> That's a bummer. Considering that this is a German fantastical tradition, I feel like that's the most tame thing that they could have done. <laughs> that's true. They're not well, getting eaten. <laughs> well, it gets a little... Yeah, yeah, that's true. But it does get a little worse. Go ahead, Beth. The same author was also told that parents in York County actually placed... Giles Nodla. Giles Nodla. <laughs> I don't know how to say Or horse dung in their children's nests. Because their children set their hats and bonnets out more than once during the year. <laughs> <laughs> so you put horse dung in the hat. Oh that my It seems like you're just goodness. causing yourself some problems there. It does. Yeah, so this is... Decades. This is, this is, that's the end of the letter, basically. Okay. Yeah, so, so I thought that, that was, was so a, a fun insight into how people in the 1800s... Yeah. And, and earlier. And earlier, and kind of interview, she was interviewing the people around her because yeah. all the... Traditions were a little bit different and yeah. came from different places. So I thought that was really, really cool. It was interesting because some were families. One was a lawyer. One was they had different jobs, yeah. different places within. Pen well, the, most of them were in Pennsylvania, although one yeah, hit Maryland. Yeah, a lot of it started Pennsylvania until it started to spread from there. So, but it was interesting to hear that you know there there was paper grass, there was real grass, there was kind of the the nest kind of concept where you get like uh, plants of some sort to kind of create mm -hmm. a nest. There was bushes, yeah. there was woods. Yeah. And they would put it in hats. Anything that kind of basically would help the nest form, right. they would put it in. So I thought that was, that was pretty cool. And you know, a lot of people, obviously, we you know the world has a lot of plastic. And a lot of people are trying to get away from the use of plastic. So when we think about today's options for alternatives to the plastic grass, right? If we want to go to a different way... So what, what options off the top of your guys' heads would you think would be possible for that? Paper. Like just a sheet of paper, just put it a paper in there? No, they sometimes have paper options. Shredded paper? And a lot of times they're crinkled. Mm -hmm. It's crinkled shredded paper. So it's not just plain shredded. Yep. It has this little crinkle aspect to it. And it's a little thicker. So the, now think a little like even further out, maybe not something that they spe sell specifically for that. The things that you could use for grass. You could use something like with a cotton base, mm -hmm. kind of like fluffy. Think like Christmas Village kind of or just... Yeah. Yeah, like quilt batting. Kind of a cotton stuffing that's... They sell that that's multicolored. Yep. You could get that in green, use that instead if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's a really good point. It's filling for pillows, but it's also... There's batting for... The quilts, right? It's that kind of same idea. That's a good. That's a good point. Cool. Yeah, there are edible grass options as well. That's right. There are. There are edible grass options that are you know safe for anybody who wants to eat the grass. <laughs> so that's actually available out there now too as an actual option for Easter baskets that they've made. Some other options for the Easter baskets themselves would be pom poms. You know, things. Think about things you could reuse, like a. Buy a big oh, thing yeah. of those little small pom-poms and put those underneath. That's that a kind cute of raises idea. the basket up. And it could be multicolored. It mm -hmm. could be really pretty. Mini balloons. Now that goes back to still using plastic or yeah. rubber or whatever, but you could put 
mini balloons in there, like the size of the small water balloons. Although I would not suggest putting water balloons in the basket. That would make it heavy. You can buy moss at craft stores and you could put moss as, as a bed and reuse it actually in the bottom. Um, yarn or ribbon. You could do your own flowers or greens, kind of like the kids did back in the 1800s. You could put felt in there, tissue paper, a lot of those kind of ideas as well. You know, what I think about gift baskets and things like that, oftentimes if you want an alternative for something, like if you give the person a blanket or a bonnet, you know, folding that and putting that at the bottom yeah. and putting the gifts like, or even like in the bonnet or, or whatnot, then you can use the basket or you don't have to use the basket or like a blanket base or tea towels or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, one of the suggestions they had was like a microfiber car cleaner or a glass cleaner thing. You could put that in the bottom. So same kind of idea of some kind of fabric or scarf or something you could put as the base. But but it's also a gift at the same time. That's a nice idea. They talked about, you know, you, you have all this junk mail that you get. You, if you had a shredder, you could actually just make your own paper, um, <laughs> you know, material to put on the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought it was pretty interesting about the grass and kind of where it came from. A little bit of a quiz, just uh, not, I'm not going to keep track of points or anything that I'm going to give you, but I thought it was interesting to look at Easter celebration kind of stats and what drives us to spend money and things like that. The first one is top Easter celebration plans. And this is from basically just last year. So top Easter celebration plans. So what do you think some of the top Easter celebration plans would be? Family dinner. Okay. Family dinner. Egg hunt. Egg hunt. Maybe some kind of church event like a potluck. Yep. Those are all top ones. So visiting with family. Now they separated visiting family from cooking a holiday meal. So you actually combine the two into one. Going to church is a top one. Uh, Planning Easter egg hunt uh, is a top one. After those four, watching TV. Oh my goodness. That's so yeah. sad. Yeah. Browse. Unless I guess you're watching Easter movies. <laughs> yeah. Browse the web. That oh. just sounds like <laughs> something people do every day. Right. So. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it's Easter specific. Yeah, it doesn't. Okay. So then next question, what inspires Easter shoppers? So people that shop for Easter. Children. What inspires them? What do you mean by children? Having children. Like oh. having shopping for children. Okay. Easter baskets. Like the springtime. Right, because traditionally, like, when you buy new clothes, they're colorful, you know, to celebrate the new season, the new beginnings, things like that. I'm going to say fear of the rabbit and the need to appease him. (laughs) (laughs) Goes back to Cole's earlier comments about the Easter Bunny. So tradition is by far the number one reason why. Which kind of relates to what you were saying, which is why I asked you what you meant by kids. But it's really the traditions that you want to instill into your family. Exactly. Um, Activity with social friends is number two. But like Sydney was saying, number three, sales or promotions. A lot of times they put out, you know, spring. So the new line of clothing comes out. They're trying to, you know, kind of get you back in the stores for um, when it gets warmer. Cole, yours yours was not on there at all. Sorry. Yeah, because people are too scared to speak the truth. <laughs> it's interesting. I, I met a woman at one point who said she, in her family, they got a really pretty dress every year for Easter. And yeah. they, weren't, they weren't well off. So that was the time they got a really pretty dress. And as you got older and you didn't change your size anymore, then she said, then you accumulated dresses. So that was kind of fun. Yeah, it was so, interesting. Just on average in the United States, the average person spends about $180 on 
just on average, on Easter each year. That sounds Which low. would include clothing. That sounds so low. Well, it's everybody. So that would be young adults as well as older people, right? So, I guess, um, yeah. Now, the total spend for Easter in the United States is close to $22 billion each that year. Sounds more, that sounds yeah. more right. <laughs> now, what percentage in the United States of people do you think plan to celebrate, and this is across all ages, plan to celebrate Easter? Now, I'll give you a hint. It is more than 50%. 80 80%. I was thinking about, I'm going to say 70, 71. Sydney, what's your guess? I'm going to go in between and say 75. Mom hit it like almost exactly. It's it, For the last 10 years, it's between 79 and basically 82%. It's right around there every year. What do you think of all the things that we spend money on over the course of the Easter season? What do you think the number one thing that we spend the most money on is? Candy. Nope, it's not candy. Candy's actually number three. Beth is wrong. I'm going to say, is it clothes? Yep, it's clothing is number one. Gifts in general is number two. Candy, which had been number two, but now is number three, is number three. And then food comes after that. Then flowers, decorations, and things like that. So that's uh, just some fun Easter information. It is fun. Along the way. Yep. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So we wish you guys a happy Easter. I hope you guys are, um, you know, having fun with clothing and candy and gifts and family and, and family dinners and all those sorts of things it would have been interesting if she had also asked people about like what their eating traditions were back then yeah yeah that would be since it's most a lot of times it's easter ham you hear of an easter ham right but that's in our part of the world they, yeah they also have easter fish they have easter i mean lots of different places eat right different things so. yeah that's true. What are you going to eat for Easter, Cole? I don't know. I don't know that we have like a, a nice meal in mind for Easter. Maybe we'll do Easter fish. Yeah. Since we're right on the bay, that would be nice. You can go catch them and eat them. <laughs> or go buy them. I mean, you could always go out. Special meal. That's true. That's true. We could do Easter gator. Easter. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Make it a new tradition. If I'm ever up uh, celebrating Easter with you guys, I'll be like, it's just not the same without the Easter gator. <laughs> new Easter traditions make me think of new inventions. Interesting. <laughs> That's weird. Whenever I think of the springtime, I always think of like April showers and yep. May flowers, yep. right? And I always have this little earworm in my head that I got when we had so many years watching Bambi when we were younger. And there's like this little ditty in it that is about like rain and April shower. Yeah. And um, I don't know, just, it's really like small, but it like just plays in my head. Let me first start off with seeing how much you guys know about the umbrella currently. So here's a little quiz about the umbrella, not the reimagining of it, so to speak, but the typical umbrella. So what country invented the umbrella? And I'll give you multiple choice. Egypt, Germany, New Zealand, China. China. That was my guess before you gave multiple choice. Germany. I, just to go with something different, I'm going to say New Zealand. Okay. So it's China and Egypt. What? Trick question. And also Assyria and Greece. But yeah, China is often what I see in terms of like who invented the... I think New Zealand did, but they didn't have anybody around to be able to like tell other people because they were isolated. It's moments like this that my very expensive history degree come into play in my life. 
Oh, that's so great. you can confirm that it was actually New Zealand coal. Is that right? I can confirm that it was not. Okay, move it on. True or false? Umbrellas have been around since the 1600s. True. 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 Very good. Why was the umbrella originally created? For water protection, to give shade from the sun, or to prevent the rain of arrows? I'm going to say shade. Sun. I'm also going to say shade, although armored umbrellas is <laughs> is a little hilarious to think about. That would be so fun. Yeah, you are correct. It is shade from the sun. But yeah, I also thought that rain from arrows was interesting. As like just a fun little aside for a lot of countries, particularly in the East, particularly because they were to shield you from the sun, they were used as a status symbol for lordly classes. Ah. So if you saw someone with an umbrella, it was typically always a lord or a king or a prince. Which will then go into kind of the reimagining. I'm using a Disney term for a reinvention of the umbrella, which is called the inverted umbrella or reverse folding umbrella. So this inverted umbrella is the way the umbrella should have been, so says the slogan of the inventor. However, because we know that the umbrella was originally for the sun, rather than the rain, it doesn't really matter. But if it had originally, yeah, so it should have been like inverted originally for the purpose of rain. So how many times have you struggled with an umbrella while getting in and out of your car to avoid getting wet? Seven. 7,000. <laughs> <laughs> Our whole lives. Yeah, that's more like it. <laughs> How many times have you spilled rainwater all over the floor when you close an umbrella? We have been using the umbrella since the ancient civilization of Egypt, Greece, and China, and it took us this long for us to innovate it. So how is it different from a regular umbrella? It looks like a regular umbrella, but its unique mechanism allows for it to be opened and closed and reversed, so it's inward folding, leaving the dry side on the outside. This addresses the many challenges we face in using regular umbrellas. This unique reverse folding mechanism protects you from getting wet specifically if you are alighting or getting into your car. It also prevents spilling water all over the floor and avoids damage from strong winds. So where did the inside out umbrella come from? Some may have thought this umbrella came from Asia where it is becoming, where it was popular and it continues to be popular, but it ends up coming from an engineer from the UK. Janan Kasman, who is an engineer based in London, invented this umbrella. And I believe he is still alive. This is a very recent thing. Yeah. I was just thinking that yep. does make sense. For you to be living in the UK yep. and thinking about innovating umbrellas. Because yes, you are not using it to block it from the sun there. <laughs> you are not. It's very it's very rainy in the yes, United indeed. Kingdom. Sun doesn't shine as, as often as it does maybe in other parts of the world. So this idea came from his mother-in-law who complained about how her umbrella dripped all over the floor of her house. Oh. Which led him to think about the idea. Mothers-in-law uh, complaining gives you a lot to think <laughs> about usually. He used it for good. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And you can check out his website at Kazbrella K-A-Z B-R-E-L-L-A dot com. So what are the downsides of the inverted umbrella? 
as with anything else, it's not all positive for the inverted umbrella. There are two main things that may make you think twice before getting one. And these are as of now, right? So in the coming years, who knows, like if these two downsides, quote unquote, will be taken care of, right? So the first one is- Can I guess one? Uh-huh. Size. Yeah, so I'll, I'll give you points for that. It's weight. For me, it's size. You know how you can get those totes umbrellas that are really mm -hmm. little and you can tuck them in places? Yeah. These ones all seem so large. Yeah, and I, I do have to agree with that actually because you can make them pretty small. The smallest I've seen these umbrellas is just a regular size umbrella. They can get pretty big. Yeah. Yeah, so actually I take that back. This says two, but mom mentions a good point. There are actually three. I would say weight and size kind of go hand in hand because I don't think that they've come so far as to come out with many, many right. yeah. sizes of these umbrellas yet. Yet, that's right. And this also says needs to be open to dry out, which, I mean, you kind of have to do anyways with an yeah. ordinary umbrella as well. Yeah, so those are just a couple things that you have to um, keep in mind. I think also a negative thing is that the rain and the water are accumulating in the inside of the umbrella. So, you know, there's like this pocket of water that when you, you know, you put the umbrella out when it's raining and then you put it up. So it's now capturing the water that was on the outside of the umbrella into the, like the inside holding area of the umbrella. So you do have to be careful what you do with that like if you turn it upside down to put it in something, yeah. that water's all gonna run out, right? So you kinda have to- You have to dump it before yeah, you put you it in. Yeah, you need to like dump it somewhere. That and like whenever you put it in the car, right? So I really love this umbrella because it is so useful. Just like for me getting out in and yeah. out of the car, but I will say going into the car, right? You press a button and it collapses onto itself. Yes. But like you said, it has that water so I have to be careful on where I place it That's in the right. car so that it doesn't just like start rolling around and dumping the water all over my car. Yes. Right. So if you go to like a garage or um, some place, like once you get home to dump the water and then open it up for it to dry, that's really the best thing to do. But yeah, you're right, Dad, that, you know, you just have to be careful on how you immediately handle it until you can dump it out. Yeah. Those are the downsides, but there are a lot of upsides to it. Just like, you know, not getting water all over yourself, all over your stuff. Like if I happen to, you know, leave it at home or whatever and have to use a regular umbrella, you know, as I'm trying to slide into the car, it gets all over my driver's seat, me, the steering wheel, just, just all over the place. My purse, it just, yep. and then it's obnoxious. So um, I've given these away as gifts and people seem to like them. And there are smaller ones that, well, I guess they're more like regular size ones. So I'm kind of waiting to see if they'll come out with like travel mini size ones, because that would be, I think, really useful. I think that would be appealing to a lot of people. I think so too. I, I would be very interested in that. Yeah. So yeah, let me know your thoughts if you've used them or if you like or dislike them. I actually saw some people at work using them. You can find them on that website, on the inventor's website. But I mean, there are a ton of, of options on Amazon and all kinds of colors and designs and things like that as well. So if you're looking for something maybe a little different or new for this spring summer season, this is something to definitely look into. A very useful gadget. Yeah, I'm interested in looking forward to hearing your other inventions for spring and summertime. Although not mine. 
No. You're, <laughs> they're not my inventions. <laughs> you brought the topic up, though. Your mini-series. Yes. Yes. Yes, and our future festivities are for the week of April 11th. April 11th is National Pet Day. April 12th is National Licorice Day. April 13th is National Thomas Jefferson Day. April 14th is International Moment of Laughter Day. April 15th is Good Friday. April 16th, National Orchid Day. April 17th, Easter Sunday. April 18th, Dingus Day. April 19th, National Garlic Day. April 20th, Lookalike Day. April 21st, Kindergarten Day. April 22nd, National Jelly Bean Day. April 23rd, St. George's Day. And April 24th, Pig in a Blanket Day. You can always follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at Holiday underscore Moons. On Instagram, we're at Holiday Moons, one word. And you can find us by searching Holiday Moons in the Facebook search bar. We have a Facebook group and a Facebook page. And you can email us at any time at HolidayMoons at gmail.com. So for Beth, Cole, Randy, and Sydney, Happy Easter! Peter Cottontail hopping down the bunny trail Hippity hopping Easter's on its way Bring in every girl and boy Baskets full of Easter joy Things to make your Easter bright and gay He's got jelly beans for Tommy Colored eggs for Sister Sue There's an orchid for your mommy And an Easter bonnet too Oh, here comes Peter Cottontail Hopping down the bunny trail Hippity-hoppity, happy Easter day Here comes Peter Cottontail Hopping down the bunny trail Look at him stop and listen to him say Try to do the things you should Maybe if you're extra good He'll roll lots of Easter eggs your way You'll wake up on Easter morning And you'll know that he was there When you'll find those chocolate bunnies That he's hiding everywhere Oh, here comes Peter Cottontail Hopping down the bunny trail Hippity-hoppity, happy Easter day